The information on this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back to episode 70 of the Practice of Being Seen podcast. Today, we're talking about creative spirituality and sustainable wellness. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and mentor to therapist changemakers. The Pobscast is a collection of weekly connectfulness conversations where we examine how to create deeply restorative ripples of transformation within ourselves and with the world around us. We are human and we create. Today, my guest Lainey Smith and I are inviting you to treat your soul to some self-care. We're exploring creativity, self-knowledge, and how art and nature combine. We're talking about the evolution of Lainey's signature approach to wellness and self-care as a sustainable lifestyle, eco-art wellness. Sustainability is the key word here because for Lainey, creating art and communing with nature are as natural as living her life. Lainey is an art therapist, coach, and consultant with a passion for supporting other helping professionals tune in as an antidote to burnout and chronic stress. She's on a mission to put people in touch with the process of life through the natural environment. Eco-art wellness is constantly evolving, so today, Lainey and I get a chance to dive into what it looks like and what it could become in the future. We also had a chance to explore and tease out what it means to be creative, to be spiritual, and to be, well, human. Lainey has a gift. She can take charged words like creativity and spirituality and turn them into something sustainable and life-giving. Together, we'll define what it might look like to trust our inner knowing, if only we were able to slow down long enough to hear it. I invite you to take what's formless and give it form. Learn from Lainey's little practices and start cultivating some eco-art wellness in your own life. You won't be disappointed. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Practice of Being Seen podcast. I am joined today by Lainey Smith. Lainey, it's so good to have you here. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm really excited for this conversation today where we're going to be talking about what you call eco-art wellness. Mm. Do you want to just bring us right there and talk about what that is? What does that mean? Yeah, so for me, the eco art wellness piece is really kind of my signature approach to wellness and self care as a sustainable lifestyle. I love that, the sustainable lifestyle. Yeah, because, well, you know, it comes from experience. And there have been times where I kind of made self care the to do list and I had that perfectionist streak. So I wanted to even get self care perfect. And I really had to, you know, evaluate that. So in terms of it being like a sustainable lifestyle, it's about compassion and just really being kind and tender and slowing things down, you know, the way things work in nature. So that's where the eco art piece comes from, because, you know, life in and of itself is a creative process. And there's continuously this you know, birth and death and birth and death. And it's this transformation and continuous evolving. And through that, there's such beauty and creativity and flow. And so really putting people in touch with that 
you know, this process called life through, you know, the environment. We are nature and we are a creative process. So just really connecting people to that so that they can live, you know, live through that process. Mm -hmm. You went to so many places there that I want to like come back to and really open up and explore. (sighs) You ready to dive in with me? Yes, please. Okay, good. So, you know, one of the big things that you were talking about, and I wrote this down, you said, it's about the way things work in nature. And you were connecting us back to how life is a creative process, that there's birth and death and birth and death. And when I hear eco art wellness, the art takes me into that creative place. The eco obviously takes me into nature, mm-hmm. wellness into the sustainability and kind of putting it all together. The creativity is naturally infused in there. And yet the way that you're talking about it right now, it makes so much intuitive sense. And it's also such a surprise. Yeah. The surprise part being that, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but my sense is that art is kind of a charged word. And so I have to be honest, there are times when I grapple a little bit with that term, you know, so who knows, maybe eco art wellness will evolve too, as things do. Because in some ways, eco-creativity almost makes more sense, right? But this eco-art has been something that it's just been with me as part of my journey, you know, from the beginning of exploring art therapy in my past, through finding that I naturally gravitated towards working in a more natural way with nature and natural themes and natural materials and really taking people out and then helping them bring the outside in. That has just been kind of a process that was very foundational to the way I work. And so I think in that way, the eco art is kind of something that just feels close to me. And so it's kind of, yeah, I don't know what the word is, but it just feels integral to the way I work. And so it's really teaching people that that art thing doesn't have to come with such a charge and a connotation. It really is just about creative expression. That's what I love about it, actually. You know, I love that it takes something that comes typically with such a charged, you know, art. It's like, High society. It's yeah. hymns. High art. No, yeah, right? Like <laughs> art has so many different meanings. And yet when we really get down to it, art is about communication. Yeah. And that's the difference, really. I mean, art has been around since we have been around. Creative expression is natural to us. So from cave paintings to, you know, indigenous cultures using mud to paint their faces. Like it doesn't have to be high art. You know, there's a book, I think it's called seven days in the art world. And it really kind of exposes just kind of some, I hate to use this word, but I'm going to the absurdity at times of the art world, because it becomes, you know, just kind of a capitalistic system where someone's personal expression gets Oh, I can't think of the word, but monetized for lack of a better word. And so in some ways, the artist really has to remove themselves and just focus on the art, you know, the creation part and not the curating and the critiquing and the gallery world and all of that. And so what I love about that reminder in this book is that it reminds us that as creators, it's not our job to also be the editor and the judge and the critique 
that that really can be left up to, you know, this is a little bit where the spirituality piece comes in. It's a trust in the higher power. It's a trust in something outside of ourselves. It's just that piece is, you know, just creation, just trusting that you're creating because that's what we do. We're humans and we create. I love this because I want to really explore this piece. I think so many people get stuck. I know so many of the people I work with when they get stuck, whether it's in their life or their relationships or building their businesses, that stuck place is when we bring in the critic, when we start doing the editing, when we do the things that are other than trusting and creating. Yeah. And I think this goes back to the perfectionism piece because I had a mentor once remind me that that part of me is very helpful in many areas and that she is welcome. She is absolutely welcome. She's welcome to do my taxes. She's welcome to do my accounting. (laughs) She's welcome to do all the things that require, you know, that logical, linear, analytical process. And She's not in charge of my creative process. That's a beautiful reminder. Thank you for sharing that with us. (laughs) Can you dance with us and bring us a little bit deeper into the spirituality aspect of this creativity right here? Because you alluded to it and you talked about how it goes into the trust. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot more depth and richness here for us to explore. Sure. Yeah, I mean... Spirituality also is a charged word, right? I mean, you you tend to go there (laughs) into the charged words and then you make them more sustainable and simple for us. You help us digest them. That's one of the things I love about your work. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was having a conversation recently and it does seem like I like to go to the deep end. Yeah. (laughs) And in this deep end, I've done a lot of exploration for myself and gone down a lot of different spiritual paths. I mean, just to bring in my history a little bit, I was, you may hear it in my accent, born in the South. So I grew up in the Bible Belt. I was raised Southern Baptist until I was about six. And my parents kind of walked out of that because there were a lot of things happening that just did not sit well. And I'm grateful for that in hindsight, that it showed me, you know, religion doesn't always mean spiritual and spiritual doesn't always mean religious, that it really is. We have to discern for ourselves what feels good inside. And so luckily they modeled for me that that didn't feel good for them to be in kind of this judgmental setting. So we moved on to Methodist and then there was a whole dance around that and learning to be in that space. And I was there for quite some time until things evolved as they do. And we kind of split ways when the pastor moved on and we weren't sure that we liked the new one and the you know, whatever the story is there, I ended up back in the Southern Baptist with my grandparents. And so, you know, things continued to unfold there. I ended up going to a Catholic college, still Christian, but you get it. So then I ultimately made my way to a Presbyterian church as an adult. And so I was just continuously on this path of what does it mean to be spiritual? What does it mean to be religious? And in that space, I was also reading a lot about Buddhism and Taoism. And that started early for me, like in high school, just wanting to understand this, like the nature of life. And so ultimately, you know, I came to a place where 
nature pretty much became my God, you know, and I said art was my religion. And I kind of just made peace with the fact that there wasn't this one way, that there are so many ways and they're just portals to getting to that place that we all want to live, which is the connection. We want to live in the place of love and understanding and truth. And the more we can live in that space, the more we have that connection. And so, you know, I ended up spending a a tremendous amount of time outside and connecting and carving my own spiritual practices when things were difficult in my life. And yeah, I think spirituality, while it can be a charged word, it ultimately is just about connecting to yourself and to something that connects you to others and to something greater than just kind of the small, selfish, egoic, critical, judgmental mind. You talk about the nature, the nature of life, the nature that holds you, the nature that becomes that spiritual place. Very much a holding environment, right? Mm -hmm. And also such a reminder of rhythms, Mm -hmm. right? And the fragility and the strength. And there's so many stories like that we can take from nature that can remind us and ground us. Absolutely. That can ground us. Um, (laughs) And so I'm just kind of like sitting with this and I'm guessing there's also an interplay here, right? There's a delicate ecosystem that we observe in nature that we want to be the caretakers of of nature, but there's also that caretaking that we want to put and turn back on ourselves and on our society and on the people who we take care of. Absolutely. And that's a real part of the work that I do is, you know, the more that I could put people in touch, you know, these are clients in the past, whether I was working in hospitals or outpatient settings or private practice, just really, it didn't matter what population, it was universal. So taking people out and showing them what they could learn through nature connecting activities and eco art and creative expression with nature as the holding container, they became grateful and clients become appreciative of all that they can learn just by connecting to something greater than themselves. You know, they connect to that innate wisdom and that inner knowing. And in that process, it's like, wow, I have this resource right outside my front door, literally. And of course, I want to care for it. Look what it's doing for me. You know, it's like you said, it's our ecosystem. It is home. So why wouldn't we tend to our home? Oh, there's so many layers here. And I don't know which one to explore first. So (laughs) bear with me. Tending to our home you know, tending to the home outside of us, tending to the home within us, tending Mm -hmm. to ourselves, but also this piece you mentioned, and I think it bears breaking it down because it's something I talk about on a lot of these episodes and I don't know that I have broken it down yet. So maybe you're the person to go there with me. Let's define innate wisdom and inner knowing. That's important. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think there's a lot to being able to settle long enough to hear it. And we aren't in a culture that's that kind of, well, we're starting to move into one, move into a culture that promotes mindfulness and promotes slowing down, but it's still not, you know, a particular mainstream and it hasn't been. I'm wondering, I know a little bit of your story 
And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if it would make sense to share a little bit of your story in terms of how you settled into your own knowing to yes. help ground and orient our listeners in terms of what you're talking about. Sure. Yeah. Well, I was, I guess, right there with the fast and the furious <laughs> in terms of trying to find that sense of home and connection outwardly you know, through outward achievements, outward success, keep moving towards something just beyond here, just beyond the present. And it really took me having some health challenges to slow me down. You know, my body was telling me this is not sustainable. This is absolutely not going to, you know, be able to continue at this pace. And so really, really having to, and I didn't necessarily do it gracefully. I mean, I did it kicking and screaming at times. I did not want to slow down and I did not want to really tune in. I had some work to do in that area where tuning in didn't have to be overwhelming. And so I think that, you know, I'm really grateful for my body for getting my attention. We have that wisdom and that natural intelligence that will continue to tap on our shoulder until we finally listen. And so, you know, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition 2013. And so it really has been learning how to live in a way that makes my body feel really good. And that I can't really consider what that looks like to other people or, you know, what other people might, how their lifestyles might be. It really is an individual process. And I think that's what I mean by innate wisdom is that we have this natural intelligence within us that is, you know, mental, physical, and emotional, and then connecting all of those into the spiritual that we can trust. We can trust our bodies And we can listen to our bodies and it will guide us. You know, that is our GPS. And I think this is so important because as your story so beautifully illustrates, the guidance that comes from our bodies doesn't always come when it's in sync, when it's going well. Sometimes that guidance comes in the form of, no, this isn't working. Right. Right. And it was not working. That's an absolute true statement. And that... There were multiple pieces, you know, that needed to be tended to on the physical level and the emotional and the mental. And getting that alignment is what can allow for kind of, you know, more of what we call a flow. An ease. An ease, yeah. And it goes back to that kind of creativity. When the pieces are aligned, that creativity can feel more natural and it doesn't have to feel pushed or forced. It's kind of like putting a puzzle together, isn't it? It is. In terms of finding the flow, right? When you try to put a piece in the wrong place, you're going to hit up a lot of resistance. Things aren't going to work. Right. And it's being willing to slow down and tune in and listen to what's not working. Yeah. You know, versus staying in motion when the motion is taking its toll. Oh, that's just beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for that illustration and bringing... Thanks for the good question. (laughs) Let's come back a little bit and talk about how the work that you do creates a more sustainable atmosphere ecosystem for helpers and healers. 
Yeah. So over the last several years, I've been working with other helping professionals and, you know, a large part of what I see is that they too can be kind of in that place that we were just talking about the motion, you know, and things aren't necessarily always working, but there's a fear of slowing down. There's a fear of tuning in. And so really more or less being a bridge that helps other healers recognize that they already have this guidance within them and that the more they can connect to their natural environment, their natural creativity, they too can learn to follow that in a way that is, you know, an expression of their highest self, working with the people that fuel them up and giving back in a way that isn't draining and that they really experience that ease and flow that we were talking about. And I think this is such a relevant conversation, not just for healing professionals, but also for teachers and for caregivers and for parents and for activists and for pretty much anybody who's taking on a role of taking care of being a caretaker for others. Well, sure. I mean, even parents, you know, I think about your connectfulness practice and how important it is. I think I have a blog somewhere called Connection. It's an inside job. And it really is about, I think Pima Chodron talks about filling your cup to the point that you're so full and overflowing with joy that you can't help but spill that onto others. And that really is the premise. Like that really is what I'm helping healers do is connect to that part of them that needs nurturance and not carrying guilt, shame, or any other kind of old pattern that would tell them that this is selfish because it's absolutely the opposite. It's so much the opposite. And in fact, it's a prereq. Absolutely. Yeah, we really, you know, I think about it as I heard recently a good metaphor of trying to give someone a $20 bill when you only have a $5 bill in your back pocket. I mean, how is that possible? We just magic. Yeah. (laughs) Like how can we give what we don't have? How can we teach what we don't have? So really starting within, you know, it's just fundamental. It is. And you know, another thing you were talking about a minute ago was this fear of slowing down and tuning in. I wonder if we could talk more into that because I see this a lot also. Yeah. It's scary to get vulnerable. It's scary to actually look at what's coming up. As I'm sure in your own story that you've already shared with us, you must have experienced at some point too before, you know, you mentioned that you were resisting for a while, that there was a little bit of a back and forthness with not wanting to really look at what was coming up for you. And I'm sure this is the case with everybody, that that resistance is part of the process, isn't it? Absolutely. And I would not say that I'm out of the woods on that. I mean, of course, there are still times every time I'm stepping into something unknown or stepping into, you know, like a new level for me, of course, there's resistance that comes up. The difference is, is that I kind of know the pattern well enough now to sit myself down and not try to run from it. And I think that that's what you're alluding to is there's this fight or flight from our own emotions. You know, we're not taught calmness. We're not taught calmness. calmness. No, we're not. We're not. And 
you know, there's a lot of reasons and a lot of history with that. And so it's not to shame or blame, but it's just to acknowledge and bring awareness to the fact that this isn't something that we're taught early on. So now we're more or less needing to reparent ourselves and how to be with those feelings rather than trying to distract ourselves from it. And what I take away from your work is that you also glean a lot of wisdom from nature from the observation of nature and how things happen and how chaos and calmness presents in nature. Yeah, absolutely. I think just being able to observe that in and of itself is such a gift. It's a slowing down too, isn't it? In and of itself. It is a slowing down. And what I find is that without fail, when I don't make time for that, I can easily slip back into old patterns. And so that's where the spiritual practice comes in. It's like, this is important to me. My life flows easier when I make time for me, when I make time to connect, when I do the things that fuel me. And so stepping out into nature and just observing the slowness of that, you know, it's something that I actually, in terms of meditation, There's obviously lots of different paths to quieting the mind. And what I have found for myself and for my clients is that meditation, so to speak, in nature is just a much more natural process. Like the mind naturally quiets because we are at home. I mean, that is where, you know, we've evolved from. For so long, we were in nature. And the research is showing that the more exposed we are to green areas, the more time we spend in that natural habitat, all the things that we want in terms of lowering our blood pressure, lowering our cortisol, you know, just health benefits, mass, you know, across the board are improved. Where it increases creativity, it increases, you know, a sense of calm. So to me, it's really intuitive. It's like, why wouldn't I do that? Like, you know, like I can't think of any side effects here. There's a really funny video out there about it's like pharmaceuticals. And um, I won't curse on your. Oh, you can curse. It's okay. Okay. (laughs) I'm a cursor. So I can't remember what it says, but it says something like, oh, maybe I'll have to send you the link to include because I can't think of it. Yeah, I can't think of it right now, but it's a really comical take, you know, like comparing pharmaceuticals versus just being outside in nature. And obviously pharmaceuticals are great for acute situations and such, but as we move towards integrative medicine, there's just so many signs pointing to the healing benefits, whether it's from natural foods, natural supplements, natural herbs, tinctures, you know, that don't have the side effects. And so it's just a really, it's a satire on that. And it's really funny that we're constantly looking for something outside of us. And there's so much already available to us, you know, in terms of natural resources. I do agree with you here. And I think it's really interesting that we have so much wisdom within ourselves and there's so much wisdom within our natural environment when we step outside. And yet we're looking for things that keep us busy, keep us cluttered, keep us overworked. That It's almost as though we're trying to fill ourselves with all the things we can't digest because we don't have the wherewithal to really slow down and just observe. Yeah. And for that reason, I'm a huge fan of minimalism, essentialism, 
there's a really great book someone recommended that I just started. I think it's called the Simple Living Guide. Mm. And it really is just kind of a a radical shift. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with the various movements like the tiny house and kind of living on the road. I know you've expressed interest in that. And I think we resonate in that way that what is this hustle to get something that we already have within? Yeah. Like this sense of peace and connection and love and understanding, like it's already in us. It's a natural part of who we are. Yeah. And then this hustle, it's almost like, I mean, we're living in an illusion, you know, that we could get that feeling from something outside. So much so. I know my own life is more complicated these days. I have a husband and two children and two cats and a dog. And, you know, I see my clients every day and there's bills to pay and all of these kinds of things that make my life what it is. And I love my life, but I also often reflect back to certain years in my 20s where I lived out of a backpack. I mm. you know, would go backpacking in the mountains and I would teach wilderness courses and like my life could really be contained and there was a simplicity to it. And I remember when I'd be out hiking and I'd have my food and my sleeping bag and my toothbrush and whatever I needed on my back, there was this knowing that I got it. I got whatever I need right here. Yeah, there's something very gratifying and relieving about that, you know, that really everything that we have is already here. And that is something that I actually, I think, took away, you know, similar in to your story. I did some work abroad and I was researching art therapy at the time, but it was my first time out of the country. And here I am, a Mississippi girl that's been in the South for 20 plus years and, you know, it was life-changing for me and it showed me how much joy I can have despite maybe how very little I could have from a standard tradition American dream lens. And that actually felt so good to me that I didn't want to go back. I didn't want to revert to coming home because it was a culture shock to come back to the excess and the waste and to see, you know, how much we have. And then there can be this, um, in a sense, lack of gratitude, you know, that entitlement piece. A disconnect. A disconnect, total disconnect. I mean, which is ironic when we're also talking about that's what we all want is to feel connected. Right, right. Yeah. So there really is an opportunity to wake up here and recognize like, wait a minute, I'm chasing something that is already here. And I get to choose, you know, like the value system that I'm going to follow because to watch children that, you know, use, let's say a water bottle, an old plastic water bottle as a soccer ball and feel like the joy and to watch how much immense pleasure they can have from playing with that or, you know, be surrounded by kids where they just have a marker and a piece of paper and that feels like Christmas in America, (laughs) you know, like that hugely influenced me so that when I came back and I worked in hospital settings or, you know, residential programs or wherever I was, like I didn't feel like I needed a huge budget of art materials. It was like, we're going outside and there is everything we could possibly need already here. You're talking right now very directly about how simplicity invites creativity. It does. It does. Yeah. And to watch people, self-included, get incredibly 
creative. What is that saying that necessity is the mother of all invention? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, from my days in art school, I can remember instructors really setting limits on what we could use because (laughs) we need those boundaries. We need that structure and limitation to create the container. When we feel safe in that container, we get really creative. So sometimes having too many options, which I'm definitely guilty of, like it's hard to make choices in the grocery store sometimes. Like I stick to the perimeter because too many choices can be really just like, we're pretty simple creatures. We are. And, you know, as a parent, I watch this in my children. If I give them a stick and a cardboard box to play with, they're a lot more creative than if I give them very specific toys. Because if the toys have directions on them, they want to know exactly what they're supposed to do. Mm, yes. Right? Yes. But and the less... Yeah, full circle, right back to the very beginning of our conversation, the perfectionist comes in, the one that's supposed to be doing my taxes, you know, and the accounting. Now, all of a sudden, she wants to know how to do this art project the right way or the wrong way. Right. It's art. It's art. It's you art. can't fuck it up. <laughs> it's life and you can't really fuck it up either. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I think, is it Seth Godin that has, I think there's a book, I can't think of it now, maybe it's uh, Leap First, but he really talks about life as art. And so I loved that because it resonated with the way I saw art, but then it took it into the entrepreneurial realm where it's like, there is not a right or wrong way. Like the way that you do it is fine. You know, there might be more effective and less effective ways. And you may figure that out along the way, but life doesn't have to be all strategy. In fact, it can't be. Because then you get lost and you're not really living your life. Yeah. And you miss the opportunities for joy when you're so focused in your mind, in your head about, oh, I didn't do it right. And then so you're living in that story, you know, that's kind of triggers shame. Right. And, you know, who's to say what's right and wrong? I think it's, I know I've mentioned this quote before, Joseph Campbell, who talks about if the path in front of you is clear, you're on somebody else's path. I love that. I haven't heard that one. I'm familiar with Joseph Campbell, but I mean, that sums up my experience. Uh, you know, <laughs> part too. of my story. Yeah, I think most creatives yeah. sums up because we really are carving our own path, you know, and yeah, I mean, there's different types of people that are more and less comfortable with that. But I certainly had to kind of carve my own way when I got to Arizona and I think you know my story in terms of hit some licensure obstacles for art therapists. And, you know, at some point I just had to decide like, all right, it's not been done. I'm going to figure out how to do it. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about two things before Mm -hmm. we close out this conversation. I want to talk about creatives and just kind of who these people are. I know you and I are both part of this group. And then I also want to talk about the self-care, self-sustaining, spiritual practices that you maintain in your life and that you teach to others. Yeah. I'm going to let you pick which one you want to start with. I was going to say, where to start? (laughs) So I have a really hard time, even now, you know, I catch myself because I've been indoctrinated into the world of there are creatives, but deep down, I actually don't buy that term. Ah. I don't. I'm guessing you don't buy it because you think we all are or we all have the potential to be. 
Yeah, exactly. Nail on the head. I think that there are some people that are way more comfortable with figuring out things as we go. I'll give you an example. And this actually goes into your other question about sustainable silk care. I recently hired a medicinal chef and that sounds, (laughs) all kinds of stories come up when I say that out loud, right? Like who the hell? (laughs) She just got through talking about simple living and she just hired a chef. What is going on? Like there's a little bit of a princess story there, but I'll just say really clearly, I do know what my values are. And my values are that I want to eat really well and I don't love cooking the the way. sister, me too. (laughs) I used to when it was easy and I could cook all the things I grew up like Southern cooking. And then it got really a little more complicated the more I wanted to be plant-based and, you know, cook. And the more you tuned into your own physical needs. Absolutely. Yeah. It got really specific about how I wanted to eat. And I didn't necessarily want to spend my time doing that when someone else is really great at it. And that's their creativity in action. It's like, let me live in my genius zone. And that's not in the kitchen. So, you know, I'm just thinking as you're saying this, that for me, one of the things that hampers my creativity are rules or things that are imposed on me that tell me how I need to do things. Mm -hmm. And so like, as I get to know my own body and I figure out what I can and can't eat, what feels good and what doesn't, those things, as I'm still getting comfortable with them, they end up feeling like rules and restrictions. Mm -hmm. And then that hampers my creativity in places like the kitchen. Totally. And that has been my experience. I got really hung up. The perfectionist came in even though I asked her to stay in the room and do the taxes, she came into the kitchen and she started, you know, bombarding me when it came to cooking and shopping and recipes. And it just kind of took the joy out of it for me for a while. And I don't want to fight that, you know, like I want to have some compassion for myself and just say like, okay, maybe you'll want to cook down the road. That's just not happening right now. And so rather than trying to fight that, I was like, I just happened to open up a magazine one day and I don't read magazines very often. So I was, you know, very grateful that this person happened to be there. So anyway, long story short, she was in our kitchen the other day and she was sharing very much how she's an intuitive chef, you know, like she's not someone who loves to follow little recipes to the T. And it struck up a very funny and interesting conversation because my significant other, he more or less would be a baker, you know, if he were going to be a kitchen person because, and he is, he's grown into more of a kitchen person out of love for me, which I'm grateful for, but he is very much follow the recipe. Like, oh my gosh, if it said a half a teaspoon of salt and he accidentally put a quarter, like he's going to go back and find the other quarter, you know? So I think that what I was saying about creatives is that some people are just more comfortable with not having that really linear, logical, structured approach to life. And some people aren't, but I do feel like everyone is creative and it's about creating that safe space. Like the safer you feel, the more opportunity you have to express yourself in a creative way. And it doesn't always have to be through the lens of art. You know, it could be wardrobe or cooking or decorating or however you want it to be. I mean, it could be through how you do your taxes. It could be actually. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It totally can. Yeah. 
You know, and I think this is one of those interesting things is that I think perhaps we all are, as you say, really creative beings, but we all have really different creative interests. Absolutely. And we all have different definitions, too, you know, of what creative means and what art means. And so kind of can we define creating you're making something you're taking something you're putting things together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of creating, you're taking what is formless and giving it form. So you're taking it from this energy or like a mental construct, and it is now becoming into existence. So you're creating something. So yeah, that could absolutely... So an architect or someone who's in construction is creative. A banker who really understands how to work the stock markets Absolutely. Right. There's all different kinds of creativity that we can really expound on here. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was just defining creating. But if we go a step further and define creative, it really is just about combining two different things or multiple things into something new. So you're combining and playing, really, you know, you're playing with different ideas or playing with different objects or playing with different ingredients. I think you just described my work as a relationship therapist. I get two individuals in the room and I get to help them find their center. That is beautiful. Yeah, you get to help them play until they kind of find what fits. Yeah, I love it. It's what drives me. It's where my creativity really comes through. Yeah, you know, as you mentioned that, it reminds me of my work too as a creative arts therapist. I always considered every session a work of art in itself. You know, you don't have to go in with an agenda, really lean in and trust that inner knowing, and you're going to create the solution together. Have you always trusted your inner knowing? No, but I've always been intuitive. I didn't always listen to it. And if I did take action, there could be a lot of doubt along the way. And so what I've gotten better at through the spiritual practices that you've asked me about is listening in Mm -hmm. and not doubting it, you know, not discounting, because that's kind of what got me in trouble in the first place into my health issues is that there were a lot of things that ultimately I think I knew deep down that I needed to do differently. And I didn't always want to take action or listen to that. Oh, Lainey, thank you so much. I think we've really come full circle so far. I think so. It's been a lovely conversation. It really has. Before we close out, are there any little practices that we can share with our listeners that they can maybe give a try or integrate into their day-to-day? Yeah, I think it can start really small. You know, if you're currently not practicing any kind of daily or even weekly opportunities to just tune in and slow down and connect. You know, it can be as small as following your breath and listening to the sound of water when you're washing your hands. Or if you're already doing some of those things and you just want more, you really can consider, you know, stepping outside in between clients or carving time to be outside and listening, you know, to the birds or watching the sunrise or sunset and carving that time. Because one part of the burnout prevention and wellness for healers that I do is really helping them create rituals, routines, and practices that 
kind of invite the rhythm that you talked about that's in nature. You know, when we follow rhythm and have ritual and routine, it can be really grounding and centering. And so I think for me, the way I really started carving a lot of that time for myself was first bringing it into my work, because if it was helping me, it was helping my clients. And so getting them outside as much as possible. And then, you know, continuing from there, it's like not just in my professional, but also in my personal. And then they had an opportunity to integrate, you know, where the personal and professional started to look more and more similar in a sense. And so, yeah, I think those are some really great places to start. I also have a burnout prevention guide that has an eco art wellness invitation on my website, laneysmithcoaching.com. So that would also be a really great opportunity to just carve you know, an hour or so can be even less, actually, if you you need less and take a weekend opportunity to dive in or a a weekday. It doesn't have to be weekend. (laughs) Thank you for that, Lainey. We'll make sure to include a link to that in our show notes. Thank you so much for joining us. It is always a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm really, really glad we got to have this conversation and we can share it with our listeners. Me too. And I'm so grateful to you for having me. As this episode is airing today, we have about one or two spots left in our integrative mastermind. If you're interested in doing bigger things and being seen in bigger ways and releasing the blockages that are getting in your way, cultivating your visions and tending to yourself and the relationships that support you so that you can do all that, then we'd love for you to join us. You can find more information at practiceofbeingseen.com slash mastermind. And we are also still accepting enrollment in our wild women discussion groups that meet online the last Thursday of the month through September 2018. We'll be journeying together in remembering who we are, what we're made of, and why we're here. These discussion groups do help us support and fund the Practice of Being Seen podcast. Go to practiceofbeingseen.com slash events to learn more. The Practice of Being Seen podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, along with the amazing behind-the-scenes support of Christy Hausler. We always love hearing from you, so do send us a message at practiceofbeingseen at gmail.com. Let us know what you're thinking or join our community on Facebook. And if you've been loving the Practice of Being Seen podcast, we'd be tickled if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts. Music by Chris Farris Jr. and Sr. produced by Kidney Stone Studio. We hope that you enjoyed the show and that you'll join us next week for another episode of The Pobscast, brought to you by Connectfulness.